0: Welcome to Therapeutic Approach to Growth with your host, Brooke Wagner. Each week, this program will focus on interests and expertise pertaining to special needs individuals and their families. We'll help you open up and connect while sharing powerful information. Now, here is Brooke Wagner.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. I am host, Brooke Wagner. Our goal of the show is to offer support, resources, and most importantly, hope to the special needs community. And today, I have with me Dr. Stephen Gutstein, licensed psychologist and co-founder of RDI Connect. And we will be discussing RDI's dynamic intelligence curriculum and the latest research in the field of autism. So, welcome, Dr. Gutstein.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me here, Brooke.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to have you here and just so excited to um you know learn more about the dynamic intelligence curriculum. I've so greatly valued your work over the last 12 years since I met you and Dr. Sheely initially and just so appreciative to have you on the show today. Um oh, great. before we great. go into um yes thank you and um before we go into talking about the uh, DI curriculum uh, I'd love to give our listeners a history of your work um uh, have you share a little bit more about your background
2: Okay well as you said I'm am, I am a clinical psychologist and uh I I have a PhD from Case Western Reserve University and and did my postdoctoral work at the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in New Jersey and um over in the 1980s, and that was that was uh, up until about 1980, and then in the 1980s, I was a professor of pediatrics and psychiatry at Baylor Medical School, and then also at the University of Texas Medical School, both in Houston, Texas, and then since then, I've done a variety of things, uh, published a number of books and articles, but the uh, mm-hmm. thing you're probably most interested in is, since about the last 20 years, I've focused on autism spectrum disorders, and I've written uh, five books and a number of articles on that, and I've developed a an intervention program called the Relationship Development Intervention Program, which of course you're very familiar with. And what you're referring to is really a part of that program that we've been working on, which is um, to to really focus on the types of abilities, the types of uh, knowledge and skill. And uh, habits and mindsets and motivations that people on the autism spectrum need in order to be able to thrive in our modern world um, and and that's really what we've been working on uh, most in the last few years but uh, part it's part of that program that we have, the RDI program. Um,
1: okay, so. wonderful, wonderful, and I'm really glad you were able to clarify that um, yeah. um, that. It, um, it's part of the RDI program. And um, I want to make sure to mention that Dr. Sheely was on the show back in January. When we t- talked about the RDI program, um, you know, in a different light, and so listeners can certainly go and listen to that recording if they want to learn more um, about um, the RDI program more globally. And today we're going to hone in on a piece of the program, which is the, the DI curriculum. Um, yeah, I, I so that, yeah, I know one of the things that I, you know, admire most about your work is that you are consistently learning about new research in the field of developmental psychology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so i 'd love to have you share a little bit more you know about how you developed the RDI program based on these large fields of research and, and just any you know if you wanted to mention any of the current research going on, just to touch on that before we go into the DI curriculum
2: well let me let me start with why we would need uh, any kind of new intervention program uh, mm-hmm. in in the field of autism spectrum disorders and and the answer is is that despite the the Emphasis that we've had on early intervention and, and the claims that people have made that they have You know developed evidence-based treatments when we look at the population of people with autism spectrum disorders and see How much we've actually made a difference in the quality of their lives based on these mm-hmm. programs and supports? We have the results are not very encouraging so mm-hmm. when we look for instance these days um, we see that about Two-thirds of the people we've diagnosed with this disorder have at least Mm -hmm. normal intelligence, have language abilities, um, are able to be educated, uh, and learn many different skills. So you Mm -hmm. would expect that those people, right, when they become Mm -hmm. adults, more and more of them are able to go to higher education, they would be able to have a pretty good life. But, mm-hmm. the res- but, the, but the reality is quite different. So even for that population, which we used to call high-functioning autistic population, is now the majority of the, of the people that we see, the, mm-hmm. the, res- the results are very, very poor. Um, you know, less than 20% of those people are going to be able to get a job, a, a real-world mm-hmm. job that has any meaning. And, and the same, about the same percentage are going to be able to have any kind of independent living arrangement. Um, and it, it gets even worse when we think about the other aspects of the quality of their life. They, they're very socially isolated. They um, have about 75% have some kind of a psychiatric disorder, anxiety, depressive disorder, along with that. Their suicide rate is at least five times more than typically developing People, that's horrendous. And so what Mm -hmm. we're looking at is that this is a population, a tremendous risk, population that where there's made a lot of claims of success and progress. But the reality is, is that we're not addressing, we're missing the basic areas of helping these people. We're missing some Mm -hmm. very basic things to help them to attain a quality of life. So the Mm -hmm. question is, if, um, you know, if intelligence and Mm -hmm. language and education and, um, you know, so social skills and life skills, if those are in place, why is that not enough? What is missing? Mm-hmm. And that's really the mis- that's really the puzzle that we had to figure out. That I had to look at and say, well, what what's missing with these people? What is it that's very, very basic that we're not providing for them? Because if we don't provide it, we're not going to make a difference
0: mm-hmm. for these
2: millions of people to be able to have a good quality of life. Mm-hmm. So that's how things get started, right? And when you think about research, you have to look at two things. You have to look at, first of all, um, when we look at the research that's been done now with infants and toddlers who have not yet been diagnosed with autism, we we find that there's a, a, a real emphasis now on doing research with children who we have identified as having a significant risk of being diagnosed with ASD. And we can now track mm-hmm. them very, very early on, from birth on, literally, and look Mm -hmm. at them in a number of different variables and ask the question, what do they have in common? What do these children, who eventually will go on to be diagnosed with ASD, uh, Mm -hmm. what happens to them that is so different? Where where do they diverge from other children? So what what has happened now is we've looked at these children, these infants, uh, Mm -hmm. and we're continuing to do that all around the world, looking at infants who we know are at higher risk because they are younger siblings of children who have already been diagnosed. So we know that mm-hmm. about 15 to 20% of those are going to themselves wind up having this diagnosis. So that's one group.
0: Mm-hmm. Another mm-hmm. group
2: of researchers, uh, groups of researchers, I say look at children who have already been diagnosed with autism and ask parents to provide videotapes of those children when they were infants and, looks at them, and look at them as well, because the, the question is, what is it that really defines this disorder? What is it that, um, you know, where's the common thread? Because we see there's an enormous diversity mm-hmm. in these children. Some of them, as I said, the majority now we see, have at least normal intelligence, but there's a big minority that have intellectual disabilities. Um, there are kids who have motor problems and don't. There's kids mm-hmm. who have more severe Uh, language issues, there's kids who, I mean, you name it, (laughs) there's a diversity, but yet there's got to be something that is in common because, right, because they wind up um, losing out on so much, even with their high, even with high intelligence, even with language, something does happen. And what the researchers are finding is that they can detect a big difference between the children who go on to have ASD diagnosis and those who don't, even, you know, both being younger siblings of, of children with ASD, they can start to see those differences in the beginning of the second year of life. There is a divergence despite these mm-hmm. other problems, despite the differences these children have. There's there's a, a major similarity, and that major similarity mm-hmm. is that this group of children, because of their vulnerabilities, because of their difficulties, um, does not develop um what I call a growth-seeking motivation. They don't, what doesn't emerge is this very intrinsic, very universal uh, desire for growth, for mental growth, uh, for challenge, for greater autonomy, for greater independence, and especially that, that growth through the guidance of the adults around them, the primary people who take care of them, their parents, that instead of actually and, um, using those people to help them to make more sense of their world, to make more sense of themselves, to develop a self, to develop a sense of others. They actually begin to disengage from those people and become more socially isolated very, very early in life. Mm-hmm. Right. So they lose access to what we call a guiding relationship. They, that's what they have in common. They, The growth-seeking does not emerge. The desire for growth, the desire for challenge and autonomy does not emerge. Mm -hmm. They do not then take advantage of what their parents have to offer. These are good parents who have the ability to to do what any parent does to provide guidance in terms of the mental growth of their children, but the children Mm -hmm. are not available for that. You can't guide an infant and child who isn't available for that guidance. So they're left in a pretty Mm -hmm. helpless position. So what we see is that this this very basic element of the parent-child relationship Mm
0: -hmm. is
2: disrupted, and we can see that as early as the beginning of the second year of life, and it doesn't come back. In other words, these are people who, from the first year on, have lost access to what we call a guiding relationship has to offer them. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the impairments, when we look at the problems down the line, that these high-functioning people have in their lives. The problems of adapting to unpredictable, complex, stressful situations, problems of learning from their own personal experience, problems Mm -hmm. of projecting themselves into the future, problems of what we call dynamic adaptation, rapidly adapting to changing context and and cues, all of those types of things, and there are more, Our products, we know from our research and development, and typical development, those are products of what we call a guiding relationship. Those are things Mm -hmm. that typically developing children just get or take for granted, right, are provided Mm -hmm. with through hundreds and thousands of hours of daily engagements with parents and grandparents and their family members. And that is really the major distinction between these two groups. The kids Mm -hmm. with the people with ASD, if we look at their downstream or downline problems are very much related to not having access to those opportunities that typically developing children just get, you know, uh, intuitively, Mm -hmm. our parents are able to provide. And so here we have parents um, of these ASD kids who are very good parents. They have the potential to do it, but they're unable they're unable to engage their children and provide them with those necessities uh for mental development to be able to learn through the minds of others being able to uh, set up situations where they can be mentally challenged and learn through those challenges they're just really unable to do that and so we're talking about a population then that bec- that can be defined by the fact that they are um they have not been able to take advantage of what we just assume children are able to get in their normal daily lives from their families.
0: Mm-hmm. That
2: becomes the essence of what happens to people with ASD. And what we've, what we've, thought, what we've realized mm-hmm. is that there's no reason that has to be that way, that if we can provide a way for these children, we used to we were children of any age, to um, To have this opportunity, to have these advantages, that they can develop the same abilities as they're typically developing peers who have had those advantages. The difference isn't that their brains are so different that they can't learn these things. The difference is they've been unable to engage in this relationship, this critical part of development. And so what our goal is is to provide them a second chance for this and to provide what we call a mindful or more thoughtful, deliberate guiding relationship rather than the sort of intuitive one that we take for granted in typical development. And that becomes the essence of RDI, right? Mm-hmm. One is to form that guiding relationship, and I think mm-hmm. that's what Dr. Shirley was emphasizing. And then two, what you're talking about is dynamic intelligence, is mm-hmm. once we form that relationship, helping parents to learn how to use it to develop those abilities that are, that are essential for functioning in the modern world and that mm-hmm. are uh, not present in our current group of people with ASD are not being taught to them are not being provided for them.
1: Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense, and I'm so glad you were able to, you know, really give a deep understanding and share a deep understanding of the the history and what we're looking at with our individuals on the spectrum that we're supporting. And, you know, I think that, you know, we've talked so much about dynamic and static intelligence over the years, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. just learning from you and and the value of that. And I'd love to have you be able to share what these terms mean if for those that that don't know, you know, what they're not familiar with them and Mm -hmm. why they're really so valuable for the field of autism.
2: Yeah, it's actually pretty simple. When we talk about something that's static, we're talking about uh, uh, being able, you know, functioning in a situation that where things are not occurring on a simultaneous basis, where you can sort of literally sort of go to A and then go to B and then go to C and go to D, where things are very predictable. There's no unpredictable elements that might just emerge, you know, that you can't expect or anticipate where you're gonna be dealing with minimum stress, where you can basically have learned procedures or formulas or algorithms, whatever you wanna call them, that you can then apply and know that they'll have a good chance of working. Um, so, you know, that's what we, when we think about static intelligence. We're really talking about the environment in which we operate, right? The setting in which we operate. A static environment is one that, where we don't expect to see a lot of change, where what we did the last time or what happened to us the last time or the problem we faced last time is going to be fairly identical to what we're going to mm-hmm. face in the future. Dynamic mm-hmm. environments, complex dynamic environments are those that we, we, we use the term CUSP or CUSP to talk about the factors that are going to be present in those environments. And most real world environments outside, you know, that outside of maybe school, if you will, or, or mm-hmm. very, um, Structured environments, but real world environments have these elements. So complexity is C for cusp. And that mm-hmm. means that there's a lot of things going on at the same time. There's so much complexity that if you stop to try to figure out what all the elements are, you're going to be lost and you're, and things are going to happen so, so rapidly that you'll be left behind. So,
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know, for example, in a conversation with someone, there is information that you are having to process from multiple channels, multiple modalities, right? From visual mm-hmm. channel, from their spatial relationship with you, from the auditory channel, from the language, you know, the auditory nonverbal channel, from the language themselves, and, of course, your own reactions to people, your own emotions, your own feelings, understanding their feelings. There's so many things going on on a simultaneous basis that if you try to operate in a sort of sequential linear You know, step by step fashion, it would be impossible. Things would just be mo- and things are just moving along so rapidly that you Mm -hmm. can't use those types of what we call static ability. So you can't use formulas and you can't use procedures and you can't use flow charts and you can't use, you know, deliberate analysis. You have to be operating on an intuitive level. You have to be operating on using emotional information that you can rely on. You have to be operating on uh, multiple levels. On, there has to be sort of a background, sort of unconscious adaptive process going on, right? And mm-hmm. you have to operate in a sort of a gestalt level where you're, where you're integrating all that information on automatically to forming larger what we call schemas or meanings, right, that don't have to do with, you know, looking at each one individually that are formed from that whole. You have to mm-hmm. build, your brain has to be operating on that, more holistic, what we call dynamic basis. Now, that's just complexity.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you have that
2: unpredictability, which is the U and cusp, right, you have to be able to live in a world where things are going to be only partially predictable, where so- things are going to suddenly, what we call, emerge. It's an in, in emergent world where, out of nowhere, right, something can pretty dramatically change and probably will. You don't know mm-hmm. what but things will change and you have to be prepared to immediately then um if, if you're, you know unexpected things happen to be able to immediately assess do what we call a situational assessment have that that term situational awareness and say oh is this important mm-hmm. or not things re- Have things really have has this information really changed the basic context or not and, and and that's happening again very intuitively not analytically very rapidly you have to be able to do that and Mm-hmm. You have to be able to make plans. You have to be able to set goals knowing that as you move along in the world, new information, you're going to learn new things, and your goals are probably going to change dramatically. And mm-hmm. the same thing with plans, that any plan you make, you're expecting that you're going to have to revise and you're going to have to adapt as things happen. That nothing is going to, you know, nothing that you do in the beginning or as you, like, uh, seek a goal is probably going to be, <laughs> You know, you're never going to have a perfect plan. You're never going to have a plan that you can that you're not going to adapt. You have to be adaptive right from the beginning and realize that. The other thing you have to realize mm-hmm. when you're dealing with an unpredictable world is that the future is unknown is not knowable. It's not you can think of the fact that there are multiple possible futures, and what you mm-hmm. want to be able to do is learn from your past experience to predict what are the most likely possible futures, not one but multiple futures, and then set up mental simulations or scenarios in your mind where you can prepare yourself, you can preview what might happen and be ready Mm -hmm. for possibilities, knowing that even then you might still be surprised. You have to be able to think in that sort Mm -hmm. of multi-dimensional way, in that more imaginative way, and you have to be able to have been very, very effective at learning from your prior experience, at being able Mm -hmm. to have sort of catalog to represent save, and catalog internally um, the the important information, important things about prior episodes, prior situations, that you can then quickly retrieve and try to match to what you're facing or you're expecting to face, right? So Mm -hmm. all those things in terms of unpredictability. And the third thing is you're going to be operating under situations of stress, which means you're going to be feeling tension, you're going to be feeling frustration, you're going to be feeling some sense of urgency sometimes, you're going to be feeling... Um, some sense of setbacks at times where things are not Mm -hmm. working out. You have to have that resilience. And so you have to be able to manage that stress at the same time you're dealing with the complexity unpredictability. You're going to have to be able to manage that stress. And sometimes that means taking a step back, looking at things more globally, uh, being able to take a break, knowing when to take a break, right, and Mm -hmm. come back. And so when you combine those factors, and there's more to that, CUSB factors, what you see is... To be able to operate in those environments, which really much characterize what we need to be successful, you're talking about a very different set of abilities than you would see on an IQ Mm -hmm. test, which is a type of static, by the way, Mm -hmm. is a very good example of static intelligence, um, or in some kind of a laboratory setting. Uh, Let me give you an example. When we, we
1: study Can I hold when, that thought Real quickly oh, well, go um, We're going to go ahead And we need to take A quick break And I really want to sure. Hear that example um, yeah. But I want to take A quick break And then we're going To come back And Absolutely. we're going to Make sure we get to that So just, we'll be back In just a few minutes Okay
0: Your life Your health Your network You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At Therapeutic Approach to Growth, we offer comprehensive and holistic supports to individuals with developmental and acquired disabilities. Our programs include parent education and guidance, speech therapy, occupational therapy, educational and behavioral support, and counseling. We assume competence and believe in treating the entire family system. We offer both in-person and long-distance services. We support our clients in any environment, from home to school and beyond. Mention this show for a free consultation. To learn more, you can reach us at TagForGrowth.com. Therapeutic approach to growth. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. To reach the show today, please call one 472 5792 That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also reach Brooke Wagner via email to bwagner at tagforgrowth.com. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back, host Brooke Wagner here, and today I have with me Dr. Stephen Gutstein, a uh, licensed psychologist and co-founder of RDI Connect, and we are discussing RDI, and in particular the dynamic intelligence curriculum, and right before the break, we, you were going to share an example, and I kind of had to cut you off, so I want to hear that example, so go for it. Mm. Are you there? Hello? Oh, now you are. Now I can hear you. Um, so right before the break, I um, had to kind of hold off on hearing that example, and I'd love to have you share it.
2: Okay, well, let, let me give you some context there, because uh, first of all, when we start to talk about dynamic intelligence and, and trying to work on it, um, uh, let me point out that the people with autism spectrum disorder wind up being sort of an extreme example of people who do not develop that because they don't have access to that guiding relationship. But what we're talking about are a set of abilities that could benefit anyone. So if you're listening and you're not involved with autism in any way, you might wanna to continue to listen because um, these are abilities that don't get taught in school. And you know, we, in our modern sort of hectic, stress-filled lives, we don't necessarily as parents stop to consider whether we're providing the opportunities that our children need to develop these types of uh, dynamic abilities which year after year are becoming the most essential things if you want your child to be successful in life. So I just wanted to make that example. What's ironic, and, and rather than giving an example, what I'm saying is what's ironic in the field of autism is that for all these years, what we've been teaching people with autism are static skills. So what we've seen is that intuitively, I think people have <laughs> felt like, oh gee, it's really hard for these people to, to, you know, learn in, in the same way that other people do. So what we'll focus on is things they can learn, ways they can learn. And without a guiding relationship, you can still learn through instruction. You can learn formulas. You can learn scripts. You can learn things that work really well if you're in, as I said, like a lab environment. And you sort of theoretically have no pressures, not, you know, one thing at a time being presented to you. Time to think about it. No noise on the outside. No stress, right? Things Mm -hmm. are very predictable. And so what's happened is we developed all these intervention programs which do just that. They teach static skills to people with ASD who are very good at learning static skills. But the problem is once they, for instance, leave an educational environment or leave the home environment that's been set up with a certain structure and try to make it in the real world, that's when they experience failure because they've had no, they have had no experience with what we call dynamic abilities, dynamic thinking. Their brain has not been developed for that. Their, their neurology has become more and more static because of the way we've educated them. Um, they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the that rapid intuitive. They've never had the opportunity to learn to operate in that rapid intuitive way that the rest of us do and take for granted. In terms of decision making, problem solving, and managing almost any kind of social engagement that we're involved with, so they are completely. They may have lots of information and facts and procedures, and sort of they can get by when you know in in an elevator type of social situation, superficial Mm -hmm. things. But once we get past that, they they're unable to work with teams. They're unable to um, form relationships. They're unable to. Um, even know their own minds, they're not able to uh, go through life and realize what they're, what they're feeling, what they are thinking, what they need, um, what their emotional state is until it's too late, and they're just overwhelmed. So, you know, endlessly, the the things that are missing are the things that we haven't been addressing. So, the Dynamic Intelligence Curriculum is an attempt to step by step provide people. With exactly those types of abilities and habits and mi- mindsets that are needed to function in what we call complex dynamic environments, in real-world environments, as so it has to do with you know di- what we call online dynamic adaptation and the ability. I mean, there's a number of abilities: intuitive thinking, which is can be taught. For a long time, people say, "Oh, you're just born with it," and. But you can teach people to be more intuitive. We know that. We know that from research, uh, not with ASD because, again, it's never been an attempt. But we're seeing that you can. And most importantly, you can teach people to learn from their own experience. You can teach people how to go through a day and to be able to capture or spotlight, or what we call emotionally bookmark moments, episodes, parts of their experience that are important, and then later to form what we call experience samples or small narratives and representations of those to categorize them and to have them available for the future so that they can use them for planning and preparing and, um, you know, and dealing with new situations as they emerge so we can teach these types of things we can teach the adaptation we can teach experiential learning we can teach the future thinking but we can't just teach them in a course Mm -hmm. these are things that have to be developed in, in a guiding relationship initially especially for a number of years they have they require an enormous amount of practice and they require building from early foundations they're missing remember these are people so many people with ASD who are missing the foundations that a one-year-old would be expected to have or a two-year-old, despite their intelligence. And that's one of the things that's misleading. You think, well, this person has 120 IQ. Well, that's right. In terms of static intelligence, that's true. In terms of dynamic intelligence, they have to start at the beginning because they've had none of that. And so we have to spend a long time building foundations, seeing where they're at, and building step-by-step towards those most, more sophisticated abilities. And so we can't be fooled by the fact that they have all these, what we call discrete or static skills, and just throw in throw, throw them in a group or throw them in courses. Anytime that's been attempted, it's been a complete failure. We have to look at each person as they are, look at what they're ready for, and move on what we call a one-step-ahead basis with them to develop those abilities. And that's what we've been doing and learning to do with people who have, in our RDI program, have been able to form a guiding relationship, both children and adolescents, young adults of different ages, and who, uh, where we've been successful in forming a guiding relationship, and we believe we can do that, who have developed the desire for growth-seeking. Let me make a point about Mm -hmm. growth-seeking. Growth-seeking is the desire to face challenges. It's the desire for greater agency, influence in your world. It's the desire for looking at wanting to explore new things, not be afraid of them. Right? It's the, it's the motivation that is universal. And what psychologists believe very strongly is that each and every human being has this desire, this strong intrinsic, we call it intrinsic motivation because you don't need to be reinforcing it. And in fact, when you use external reinforcement, you actually, you actually get, get in the way of it. Right? Mm -hmm. You dampen Mm -hmm. it down. But we all have that. If you're a human being, you have that. People with autism, are human beings they are just as human as anyone else but that growth seeking because of the vulnerabilities they had early on never emerged but what we do is we set up situations and we set up in, with their parents and we teach their parents to set up environments where they start to feel more comfortable they start to feel more self-assured they start to feel more trusting and being able to make sense of their world and lo and behold that th- we see the growth seeking start to emerge once that does then it's not hard to form a guiding relationship. And once we form that relationship, then they become good, what we call mental apprentices. They're excited. They're partners in learning about how their mind works in developing those mental abilities. They're no longer afraid of unpredictability. They're no longer afraid of change. They welcome it. They welcome change and novelty and challenge. They they desire to do the harder things and to overcome those things. That becomes a primary motivation. Without that, we're really not going to be able to move forward. Once we have that, then we can start to work on things. And one of the first things we work on is learning that you can capture, you can capture your own experience. We give you back, we give these people the ownership of their own daily experiential life because it's hard to imagine what it's like when you can't learn anything, go through your day, and you can't capture anything of importance that tells you more about what you need in the world or what to expect in the future or how to prepare, how to predict, how to plan because of your prior experience or what your own vulnerabilities are, what works best for you. But that's the state of affairs for people who are high functioning, low functioning, whatever with ASD. They don't have, they have not learned how to do that. Mm -hmm. And once they start to learn we start to work, we work, we, we work with children who are as young as three. We work with, uh, adults you know we have young adults and older adults we we haven't worked with older adults but it would work just as well um, once they start to do this the changes are dramatic the sense of agency the sense of oh, okay now I can talk to my future self I can save things in a storage area and we use external storage we don't We what we say is what they're having these people are having enough trouble <laughs> making sense of their world making sense of their daily lives that if we start asking them to stuff all these things we're learning into their brains and then retrieve it somehow, we're just making the world more difficult. So we actually set up a, a cloud, a system in the cloud for them, where with their mobile phone, their iPad, their computer, whatever, they can actually upload or save sample things they've learned. Um, rec- whether those are video recordings, narratives, graphics, whatever, things that they're basically recording, if you will, for their future self, about themselves, about the world they're in, where when they face a situation, they can actually retrieve those things. They can have access to them. And remember, they're theirs. They're owned by them. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing how much more empowered people feel when we do that. So that's on one level we're doing that. On the other level, we're teaching people to develop intuition and that more rapid, unconscious, emotion-based Judgment system, we call it evaluative emotions, where you, we've, we, which you take for granted, where you say, oh, maybe I don't quite understand that, or maybe that person's looking a little uncomfortable. Remember, you don't do those things consciously. Those are things that are happening very rapidly, right. unconsciously, but they're based on sort of feelings, and intuitive feelings. And people with you mm-hmm. don't have that. But it doesn't mean mm-hmm. they can't learn to have it. Those are things, mm-hmm. again, developed through a guiding relationship. And so another part of our program is to, So one part is to give them that more deliberate, reflective ability, the ability to learn from their experience and have that type of wisdom. The other part of the program is to give them that more rapid, intuitive, unconscious, you know, we call it more automatic way of functioning in the real world so that they can make those rapid adaptations so they can immediately assess and have that situational awareness and make those changes. So there's two parts that are going on basically simultaneously. In the program that are both both critical and part of that is I mean there are other abilities as well one of the things that researchers have found for instance is that people with ASD don't know how to use um, what we call self communicating they don't know how to direct language to themselves to be able to think about alternatives to be able to carry on um, a, you know a dialogue what we call a self-dialogue where they're able to consider multiple perspectives think about best choices They don't know how to do that. When we give them that, it's another critical tool for them. That's also another part of the program. So you have, again, learning from being able to uh, extract meaning from your experience, to be able to then re-experience, and also to preview futures. We teach mental simulation, Mm -hmm. that imagery in your mind. We teach self-directed communication, self-dialogue. We, um, again, that fast, rapid, dynamic adaptation, intuitive all of those things really not at the same time but become part of what we call a dynamic intelligence curriculum and there are many aspects to it and again what's critical is we have to carefully assess and we teach our parental guides and later our teachers and other people to be able to assess where each person mm-hmm. where they are developmentally ready for what's a, we use what we call a one step ahead model where again each person is going to be on their own developmental course and there are many, many pieces that have to be put in place for you to eventually be able to function in in more, you know, adult real world environments. And we know we have to know where each person is and we have to build those foundations and more complex versions. We have to integrate those abilities. Because you know all those abilities in us are operating simultaneously. You're carrying on a conversation with yourself all the time. Part of that is when you do intuitive thinking. You're doing that. You're you're trying to find matches between what, what you're facing in your life and your prior experience. That's happening at the same time as everything else. These things have to be very well integrated, right? And they have to operate pretty efficiently and rapidly for you to be able to actually use them in the real-world environment. So the curriculum is, in that way, is geared to start simple and gradually build up and build up and build up and be a lifelong experience because not everybody is going to move as quickly as everyone else. But I want we want to provide mm-hmm. resources for people to move as much as they can, to develop as much as they can over the course of their lives. And so there's not this isn't just for what we call high-functioning people with autism. Our program is for anyone with ASD mm-hmm. who has developed that growth-seeking motivation. And by the way, that's not based on high or low-functioning. <laughs> we have people who are called low-functioning ASD, and they develop... Powerful growth seeking. They may not make the same cognitive advances, but boy, they're going to continue to move throughout their whole life if we provide them the opportunities mm-hmm. to do that. So mm-hmm. these are the types of abilities that we, we are providing and having some tremendous success with. So much. Oh, it's I
0: very love hard it. To even
2: discuss that because there's so many. You know, we're just seeing the influence. The families' testimonials are amazing. Uh, we just recently did a conference in New Jersey. Uh, interesting where where a young man who's about 20 who uh, uh his mother has been working with him since he's about 9 uh came up and really did his own testimonial of while we were showing his and showing his videotapes of you know how his life has changed how he really has been able to develop a sense of you know of movement towards his future of becoming something of making progress of carrying on a self dialogue of not being so unidimensional Of really understanding himself in a fundamentally different way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we give somebody that sense of self, it's so powerful. That sense of your, and the only way you do that is to give people ways of extracting things from their own experience. And he Mm -hmm. does his own, you know, the kids that we work with, um, make their own videos. It's interesting. One Mm -hmm. of the technology Mm -hmm. things that's been interesting is, um, you know, we're in a video sort of selfie generation where you see kids of all ages now, who, you know, make their own little videos all the time and then upload them. They open them social networking site. Well, we teach our kids, as soon as they're old enough and ready, to, they you know, they may carry around an old iPhone, if we don't trust them with a phone yet, you know, that that's disconnected from a phone but still has a video or an old flip camera. But they stop and make their own little selfie videos to capture, you know, they learn how to capture what's important little moments for them that mm-hmm. they want to save. And then they go Mm -hmm. back with their parents and work on those and, you know, review them and then decide how to, to store them and, you know, how to categorize them as in, so they'll be able to retrieve them when they need them. And what used to be, that would have been odd, you know, 20 years ago, they would have been seen as weirdos. Now they're just cool kids because they're all doing, every kid's doing that. They're walking around doing those selfie videos. So it's really cool that it fits (laughs) in with the culture so nicely. Um, right. <laughs> and then they upload them themselves. Some of them upload them to YouTube on the private channels, and then we have links to that, we create for them, and then they organize them in, in the cloud. We, set, we teach them how to organize them by different themes, by different emotions, by different types of situations they're likely to encounter. And i tell you, it is so empowering. It is so powerful. It, mm-hmm. It's hard to tell you what happens. It's like giving somebody a mind that they haven't had, giving someone these tools of, oh... I can understand myself in the world. I can understand my world. I can start to understand others uh, where I was just before sort of going through the day and just trying to survive. Now mm-hmm. I can go through my days and I can make sense of things and I can see how it compares to my past and I can try to project myself in the future. The future is no longer so scary because right. I can use my past experience to start to plan and prepare, knowing that it's not going to be exact, but at least that there's some way I can make sense of things. And then if I'm hit with something unexpected, even then I can stop and say, when have I dealt with this before, this type of a thing? Mm -hmm. So I'm not so scared about the unexpected anymore. So it's just an amazing transformation that we've seen in this population. And so the idea is not that, you know, they're not born, what we want to say is they're not born like that. People with ASD or no one isn't born with the inability to develop these dynamic intelligence mental tools. But if it, it just so happens that, Because of those early vulnerabilities, they cut off from those learning opportunities, those hundreds and thousands of hours of conversation and joint engagement and, you know, watching and observing and trying things out and what, you know, that that typically Mm -hmm. developing kids just do.
0: Mm And again, not all
2: of them do. And, and, And again, this is why we think our curriculum is just as critical for kids who have, Other vulnerabilities like ADHD and learning disabilities as well as kids who are typically developing. Our families, uh, use this curriculum with all their kids. They, they Mm -hmm. don't just use it with the kids with ASD because they know that these are the abilities that are going to make a fundamental difference in the world for their kids and are already making a difference. And so no i love it, it, I love it, it's that it's just really so nice.
1: incredibly empowering for the whole family um, oh, every single is. Is. person is. is feels empowered by these tools oh, yeah. and this, you know this approach and, 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 and it. it becomes a family culture so I mean one
2: of the things mm-hmm. I think is that it has to be a culture. It's not something we're doing to the person, to one person. It becomes something we all do. So The families are becoming more reflective, they're becoming mm-hmm. more aware of their own learning and, and and experience it's impacting them in their own lives. As well mm-hmm. as with their children, so it's a very, it's a really nice family philosophy, if you will, or family culture that's becoming, you know, that's being developed that has benefits for everybody, especially in this sort of hectic, short attention span culture we live in. So it slows them down a bit, but it also says, look, you know, what what goes on? I can't just go through the day and stay plugged in and not think about, you know, not get anything from my world. I have to stop and look and. You know, mm-hmm. and I hate to say, it, smell the roses, but it's not really that. I have to stop and say, should I want to remember this? Is this something important? Is mm-hmm. this something happening right now that I need to be a little more mindful about, or that mm-hmm. I want to go back and then maybe later on I go back and review it and say, how would I like to save this? How would right. I use this in the future? So there's so many great elements to this um, mm-hmm. that it's hard to describe them all. But you know, what we're proving is that. People with ASD, if we give them the opportunity, if, if they, if we, if we work on motivation first, and let me just point out, this isn't right. about skills. You have to develop that growth seeking motivation first. You have mm-hmm. to develop that guiding relationship. If we do that, and we're able to do that with pretty much everyone that we mm-hmm. see, then, then we can start to move into these areas that people thought were impossible, that people thought, you know, are just parts of being autistic. And we realize they're not parts of being autistic at all. They're just the result of being deprived of these opportunities. And once they have these opportunities, anything's possible for these people. So we're excited. We're very excited. Oh, it's
1: it's amazing. And I'd love to have you share, you know, maybe like one example you can think of, of how a parent might guide a child um, using this curriculum, maybe an objective you've assigned or um, something that, an example that, um, you know, you can share that would uh, kind of bring this curriculum alive.
2: Well, you know, it's not so much an objective as what we're talking about is a lifestyle, too, in that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with our parents, um, the the parents and kids really develop a a daily way of living where um, they make sure they have time to sit together and look and capture, first of all, capture some events. So, for example, Mm -hmm. one of the first things they'll do is they will go on just normal field trips together, I call them, but, you know, visits to the store, visits to a park, um, a dog park, uh, whatever they do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. on those visits, the parents will um, stop stop their kids at p- various times, just pause in a second and say, you know, um, I notice that you're looking happier here. I notice that you're looking more excited. Is this something maybe we should save something mm-hmm. for? Mm-hmm. And start to what we call bookmark, do what we call emotional bookmarking, those moments because again the issue isn't memory. Memory is a is a word that really is very confusing to people because it has to do with recollection, it has to do with after mm-hmm. the fact things. And here's the key. If 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 you're gonna be able to use if you're gonna be able to recollect something, you have to be able to capture it first. You have mm-hmm. to be able to notice something that stands out and you have to be able to create a representation of it some way that has meaning for you. You have to be able to store it then in in some ways, that has meaning so that when you need it, in other words, when you are planning, preparing, when you reach a situation where you're facing a problem, you can access that, right? So it has a lot to do with all those things and very little to do with what we usually think of as memory. We, we mm-hmm. ought to be very careful not to use the term memory. Because memory assumes that it's just like, you know, re- remembering something or memorizing something. And what mm-hmm. we're talking about is managing your personal experience. It's personal experience management is a much better way of thinking about this because it has all those abilities from noticing something, finding a way to capture it in short, in the short run, then being able to go back and review it and form a narrative, form a representation, make a video in our, in our version of it be able to store it, figure out what a good label for it is that's going to fit, what category it should be in, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you think about these, uh, uh, you really can't think of a single objective, there's so many, but you can think about what happens in the daily lives then when parents and children start to spend the time, one, capturing these things, then actually spending time when they come back from a trip or, you know, I'm talking about a field trip, I'm going to just a very simple little thing they've done, going shopping for something or whatever. and mm-hmm. And then stopping and saying, oh, geez, how are we going to save this? And parents initially, of course, are doing the majority of that. But we make sure right from the beginning is that there's authenticity for the child, that it has meaning for the child, that the parent isn't just doing it. Um, and, again, that requires that growth-seeking motivation. It has to require not any ability of that child so much, but the desire, the motivation needs to be there. So very, very in the beginning, a lot of the things that get uploaded, in the very beginning, for young children, are very meaningful. They, you know, hello, hello, future self, whatever they may be
0: doing, mm-hmm. simple
2: things. But the children feel the ownership of it. But what happens is over time, they become more meaningful. They become more useful. Parents then say, start to set up situations where the child can experience then um, getting ready for a sleepover or getting ready for a test or And then they can go and say, "Let's look into your knowledge bank. Let's go in there and see if we can find something that helps you prepare." And remember, they're finding something that the child made with the parent guidance, but but there's Mm -hmm. a sense of this is mine. This is my representation, my experience. And Mm -hmm. then the child can see how that's related then, how what they create, what they constructed, what they saved, right, where they saved it is something that helps them to, right, prepare for their own future. And it's like my, it's me talking to my my future self, me. Mm -hmm. It's not you telling me what to do. It's me, my own experience, helping me. To prepare so that may mm-hmm. give you a sense of how this progresses, and then interve- mm-hmm. gradually the children will learn to make their to, to come to their parents, capture their own experiences sometimes with video sometimes that mm-hmm. and then what happens is the guiding relationship just comes a place where um, The the parents are there to facilitate this process. They're there to help the child who is getting much, much better at picking out important moments in their lives. Often those are problems they're facing, challenges, things they're having difficulty with, difficult decisions, setbacks and things. And then the children are learning to um, deal with those without feeling um, too upset about them. They're learning Mm -hmm. to have a little bit of distance from those things so that they can really reflect on them. Because typically what happens, especially with the ASD kids, is that they're flooded with a lot of negative experiences and they just learn to suppress Mm -hmm. them. they learn never Mm -hmm. to think about them again, which means they can't possibly learn from them, right? Mm -hmm. And through this Mm -hmm. process, they get a little bit of distance. They feel like, okay, a negative thing isn't something I want to suppress. It's something I want to deal with and because I have success with them. And they learn how to learn from experience. They learn how to do it. And they learn they can. And they, they don't suppress rather than that. They come back, they use their guides to help them to think about it. And then they, and then they capture what they're learning from that experience and what they're going to be able to do in the future or how they're going to be able to handle it. And Mm -hmm. they become, you know, they've developed this knowledge bank, right? So that they feel Mm -hmm. more resilient. They feel more powerful and they begin to feel like they can face pretty much anything and they can handle it. They feel, they really feel this sense of being competent. In the world, which is the opposite of what happens to even the highest functioning ASD people who begin, who more and more, when they go out in the real world, feel more and more incompetent. These people Mm -hmm. feel more and more competent in the world. And they have Mm -hmm. tools in order to deal with things, even very, very difficult things. They know that, yeah, it may not be great right now, but I can figure out how to do this. I have my own bank of experiences. I have my own just things, not necessarily that tells me what to do, but tells me that I can do it. You see their
0: experience, mm-hmm. I can go back mm-hmm. and say, you know
2: what, I've done hard things before. I can, I'm the type of person that can do this. And it really becomes internalized. It becomes who you are as because your identity. Rather than your identity right. of somebody who's overwhelmed and frightened, your identity is somebody who's strong, who can handle adversity, and can manage right. whatever gets thrown at you. And that's what you need to function in dynamic environments, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to have beautiful. That, that personal identity.
1: Absolutely. So,
2: yeah, I hope that gives it's- you a sense of flavor of it.
1: It does. It's such a beautiful process that we're all going through and, you know, looking at our clients and and really trying to give them that opportunity to be successful in life and have that high quality of life. And it's just such a gift to have all this knowledge to be able to to provide these opportunities to the clients. And, you know, we just appreciate so much of how much time you've spent really thinking about this and planning, Um, you know, what needs to be done to really help these individuals.
2: Yeah, it's very gratifying, and you know, when we see that, you know, we just went through a, a, a workshop. Where we just showed this to a group of people who were blown away in New Jersey for two days, mm-hmm. and we had about we had five of us actually showing this and showing different families, and you know, we had whole different groups of ages, and some were more of the what we call the high functioning kids, some of the lower function. It didn't matter. You know, what we were saying was that this mm-hmm. is universal. This desire for growth, this desire mm-hmm. to continue to develop your mind yourself is, is part of who we are as human beings. And we mm-hmm. can, you know, we can get to that with people with ASD. We, we can mm-hmm. break through that. What people thought was not possible, you know, mm-hmm. is.
1: Absolutely. Exactly it absolutely is possible. And it's just difference. amazing it that. Um, we have this curriculum and, and all of this knowledge from all of your work to be able to offer this support. And, um, and I want to make sure, we have to close in just a minute here, but I want to make sure that uh, listeners out there, we have listeners internationally, and I um, want to make sure the best part is that you know, a lot of RDI work can be done long distance if families don't have a consultant Absolutely. in their area. So I want to make sure that we have you share the best way for people to go you know, on your website well, and find out more.
2: Right, rdiconnect.com. RDI Connect is one word. It's www. We don't need that anymore. RDI Connect. RDI Connect And that's where the information will be. You can sign up for a mailing list. We're providing more and more podcasts and more and more blog information about this. So um, it's a great place to get started.
1: No, wonderful. And I love all the information. You have a wealth of information on there um, about this program and um also the list of um, consultants um across the, the world now. Um which is so yes. exciting. Thirty
2: five <laughs> countries, that's right. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. It's so amazing. So um just wanna thank you so much for being on today. This was wonderful and just I love every time I hear you speak I learn something new and I just value all of your work and, and your dedication right. to the community. So Thank well, you same so with much. you.
2: I know. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me.
1: All right. You have a wonderful day. And uh, we'll too. be back next Tuesday, uh, 11 o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time. Bye
0: bye. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. you again for listening be sure to tune in to therapeutic approach to growth and join brooke wagner again every tuesday at 2 p.m eastern time and 11 a.m pacific time on the voice america health and wellness channel have a great week